It's so good to be in the house of the Lord over the last, oh gosh, 25, 30 years. I've always understood that this particular Sunday is a, it, it, it's a tough attendance Sunday because, um, you know, it's sandwiched between two major holidays, right? But I thank you for coming today. And for those of you who are viewing uh, through live stream, we thank you so much for being with us. And uh, let's just keep this, this song going. Let's keep the worship going. In fact, I want to use um, the song Joy to the World as a springboard for um, Psalm 98 as we go into it in just a moment. But Psalm 98 is, was the inspiration for Sir Isaac Watts, a Brit who uh, in uh, 1719 wrote the song that we call Joy to the World. And... Um, he wrote a, a tremendous number of hymns, uh, way more than most of his contemporaries uh, at the time. But, but he looked at Psalm 98 and Psalm 96, and from those two psalms in Genesis 1, uh, Genesis 3 actually, uh, he looked at those and he was inspired to write a song of joy. And there's a phrase in the second or third verse that says repeat the sounding joy and he's caught the essence of rejoicing the word joy uh, in the scriptures is usually translated joy the, the word that we say joy or call joy really has this inference of shouting it has an inference of a war cry but it, it's a deep deep emotion and a release and so when, when you are suddenly on the banks of the other side of the Red Sea and you realize that all of your enemies are, have just perished, you know, you, you let out a, an, a sound. And that sound is directed Godward and it's, it's an emotion and a sound altogether. So when we joy in the Lord, which by the way, it's more contagious than COVID. Joy is very, very Contact. I mean to tell you something. You get anywhere near someone with joy, and you might likely catch it. So uh, I wish all of you a contamination this morning as we begin to, uh, not with COVID, but with joy. May you be contaminated with the essence of joy this morning. And then what happens is that when you have joyed in the Lord, when you have given this this expression of praise, when you have vocalized an emotion deep inside you that is a gratitude, when it, when it comes springing forth, when you, then you have joyed. So then what we're supposed to do is to rejoy. So once you've joyed, then you're to joy again. And then you're to, after that, then joy again. So when you've joyed and joyed and then joyed again, you have rejoyed or rejoiced. So what we want to do is to learn how to and, and to, to get like something that would give us a motivation to, to bring about a certain discipline that would cause us to joy and then joy again and then joy again. Every believer has within them the Holy Spirit and the essence of what it means to joy in the Lord. So every believer has the capacity to do it. I'm going to tell you, when the alarm clock went off this morning, at 6.30 when it went off, uh, I, my, my first reflex was not joy. It was kind of the, the exact opposite of joy. It was actually the inversion of the word joy. 
And um, there was a little bit of sorrow, a little bit of sadness as I parted from my lovely wife who was all cozy in bed and in the covers, keeping all that nice warm. I had to leave the warm and get out into the cold, slip into my slippers and my robe and go downstairs and start some coffee and try to get some joy. Or actually at my age, I just try to get my blood flowing is what I'm trying to do, really. So, so uh, I, I want you to know that if your reflex isn't always joy, automatically, you're probably in good company. As a matter of fact, if you are a person who is just given to spontaneous outbursts of joy, like all through the day, we hate you. <laughs> no, actually, we bless you, and we admire you, and we want to be like you somehow, some way. But I believe that sometimes what, what, all we need is a seed or a germ, something planted in our spirit. And then the next thing you know, that, that then all of a sudden, uh, some of that uh, good old discipline that, you know, like, um, what makes you pray? You, usually it's not a spontaneous thing. You decide to pray. What makes you worship? You, you, it's not a sp- spontaneous thing. For most of us, we decide. And can I just tell you that every act of worship, every act of prayer probably begins in our humanness, in our flesh, and we just make ourselves do it. And once we've made ourselves do it, then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit breathes on that, and then it becomes spontaneous and um, and, and, and overflowing. And uh, that's where we want to go with all this. But I want to give you some... Um, actually some reasons. In fact, I never have done this before, but I'm going to do it today. I'm going to give you a top six reasons why we should joy and then joy again or repeat the sounding joy. So we're going to go from the sixth one all the way down to number one. We're going to count down backwards. Six reasons why you and I, and, and believe me, they're going to be very fast, so hold on to your seats. Six reasons why we should joy and then joy again or rejoice or, if you will, repeat the sounding joy. Can we do that? We're going to do it anyways. All right. Psalm 98, the inspiration for the song, Joy to the World. And by the way, I'm not talking about the three-dog night version. And if you know that version, raise your hand. You're as old as me. All right. The rest of you, you're younger than me. All right. All right. Psalm 98. In Psalm 98, oh, by the way, I should remind you, I've read this verse a few times to you uh, in the last couple weeks. In Luke chapter 2, verse number 10, And the angel said unto them, Fear not. That's a good word for our country right now. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. It goes far and wide, and it takes away our fear. Why not? Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Psalm 98. In fact, um, Carrie, if it would be possible, I'd like you to put verse number 9 up there. In Psalm 98, verse number 9, the, the sixth reason, the, the, of the top six reasons from Psalm 98 that we should rejoice is, is uh, the Lord is coming, and he's coming as a judge. Now, you're supposed to rejoice for that. The Lord is coming And he's coming back as a judge. All right, there's two sections. Well, let me just say it this way. There's a whole lot of things about the Lord's return I don't understand. But there are two parts of it that I do understand. 
very clearly, no matter what your position is, there is two things that you can count on. All of us agree on this, these two things. That when the Lord returns, uh, two things are going to happen. One thing is that he will be with his people, which is a good thing. He's coming back for his bride. I trust that you belong to the body of Christ. If you belong to the body of Christ, you're part of the bride that Jesus is coming back for. And believe me, as much as I enjoy life right now, and I would live this way, the way I'm living right now, I'd live this way 500 years. I'd live this way 600 years. I'd live this way for eternity because my relationship with my wife, my family, uh, this wonderful church, and people around me, and, uh, and my relationship with God is such that I could live this way for 600 years. I could just keep doing it. I really could. But if you offer me an, uh, an option where we get to take a field trip to heaven, where everybody gets to go and be with Jesus, and there is no more tears, there is no more crying, there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrows, no more, no more death. I mean, if you offer me, there's no more injustice. The, everything has been made right. If you offer that to me, I'm going to say, sign me up. Or as Bill Johnson used to say, um, you can't threaten me with heaven. Bill, if you don't do this, I'm going to kill you. You can't threaten me by going to Jesus, all right? You can't threaten me with heaven. So when the Lord returns, two things are going to happen. One you're going to really, really like, and that is that you'll be with Jesus. The second thing is that he will judge the world. Now, that's the part that we're uncomfortable with, and the reason that we're uncomfortable with that is because that we're not secure in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've put your faith and your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have nothing to fear. If you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have nothing to fear of the Lord's return. One more time. If you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have absolutely nothing to fear when the Lord returns. None at all. Because you have been put the, in the one place, the perfect place, where God could never judge you. God has placed you in Christ. You're safe in Christ. Can we just take a spontaneous joy moment here for that? In Christ is full and complete righteousness and will never be judged. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Uh, you know, I mean... We all have good days and bad days and then other days, you know. Well, listen, this, this judgment that I'm talking about, the Scriptures talks about, that actually Jesus talked about the, his, his judgment more than just about anything else. There would be a time when God will judge the earth. And we say, but that makes me nervous. Well, if we're in Christ, we don't need to be nervous. Amen? But if we're out of Christ, okay, here's the thing. From the perspective of the, of the psalmist, I have learned that there are only three kinds of people in the world. Person number one is those who love God with all their heart. That's the righteous. That's those who follow him. That's the ones who uh, are literally obeying Jesus because they love him and they're in Christ. So there are those who are the righteous or the lovers of God, I like to call them. And then there's on the other extreme, there's the, what, what the scriptures call the wicked. 
Now, that was hard for me because, I, I, you know, I really want to love everybody, and I want to believe that God loves everybody, and I know that he does, but I also know that he is just. So, so that group of people, and I believe it's a smaller minority than we actually think, there's a group of people who actually, the reason we call them the wicked, the, the Bible calls them that, is because they're the polar opposite of those who love God. They hate God. They hate everything that God stands for. They hate everything that is good and righteous and just. Everything of a Judeo-Christian value and ethic and worldview and things that we hold dear and near to us, they hate it. I can't imagine it, but I've met a few of them. There are people who literally hate God. Can I say, get you to say amen to that? There are people who literally hate God. You need to be good with that. We need to be good with that. The scriptures say that clearly there are lovers of God and then there are haters of God and they're the wicked. The saddest thing I can think of today, right now at this moment, is that the vast number of people do not love God nor hate him. The vast group of people are in the middle. They're the indifferent. They're the ones who either don't know, don't care, have an appetite, or God has not touched them yet or we've not reached them yet. Now, that's probably the saddest thing. I'm not as sad that there are people who are wicked because if there isn't wicked in this world, then I don't know how to explain some of the things that happens. But let me just tell you that if you accept the worldview that the Bible presents, that there is a, a category of people that we do not get to name, the scriptures would call them, God would call them, the wicked. So there's the lovers of God, there's the haters of God, and there's a vast group in the middle. So the judgment of God, guess what it's about? It's about judging the wicked. Now there's people in the middle, oh my gosh, those are the ones we need to be praying for. Those are the ones we need to be reaching. Those are the ones that we need to be witnessing to, right? I mean, that's because who knows where they stand in God's eyes. I don't know that, so I'm not going to take a chance. I'm just going to share Jesus with the person who's indifferent. And if they're just indifferent, that doesn't mean they hate don't that doesn't mean they hate him. It certainly doesn't mean they love him. Can I just tell you that 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 the word that God keeps giving me for this country right now is I wish that you were hot or you were cold. I wish that you were lovers of God or haters of God, but not this in the middle stuff has got to end. And I pray that we during this special season and time that we're in right now, and the things that we're going through, I, I pray to God they cause us to run to Jesus. The, the sixth and most uh, of, the top, of the top six things that we should rejoice over, the sixth one is that Jesus is coming, and he's coming as the judge. By the way, just one little footnote to that. If you've ever encountered injustice, and if you were, your heart has ever been broken by it, if you have ever been the recipient of injustice, if you've ever longed to see wrong made right, you should love the appearing of Jesus. You should love the appearing of Jesus. Okay, that's a hard sell. Let's move on to number five. But I think you'll get good with it over time. By the way, I just want to tell you that that... that that information has been something that the Lord has stirred in my heart over the last couple of years as I've prayed the Psalms. As you pray the Psalm, there, there are literally three categories of people. 
those who love him, those who hate him, and that big majority of people who are indifferent in the middle. Top 10, six, I'm sorry, top six reasons, the, the, the fifth one, this one you might get a little happy over, is the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. He is reigning. That means that he is the, I won't say undisputed Lord of the universe. There are those who would dispute it. On the earth, there are kings or governors or uh, presidents or political powers, people that rule. Uh, the scriptures use the phrase king. Let's just go, let's just stick with that one. Okay, so on the earth, kings reign. They have dominion over people. But you know what? That There's something that reigns over kings that even kings cannot fight. It's death. Two things rule on earth, kings and death. In heaven, guess what rules? God. And Jesus came to the earth, and he didn't come to cross swords with any political power or any king or any government. He just came with his own kingdom. And he died for sins. And then on the third day, he rose again. He defeated not only this system, but he also defeated sin and death. That's why we call Jesus Lord. Now, let me just tell you, there is nothing more depressing than a dead Lord. If your Lord is dead, it stinks for you, right? But if your Lord is ever living to make intercession for you, guess what? You are on the winning side. No matter who you are today, if you have accepted Christ and fit yourself into his yoke because it's easy, his burden because it's light, if you decided to love him and to follow him all the days of your life, guess what? You're on the winning team. I want you to look at me for a moment and just to, I want you to imagine for a second that I was a young man and I was ready to play basketball. Guess who was not chosen? Uh, we had some scrimmage games in our backyards with some of our friends. We played football. Guess who was the last one chosen for football, right? I'm, I'm, okay, let me tell you, to be honest with you, I've never been on the winning team. That's why I don't, I, I, I don't you know, someone says, uh, who's your favorite team? I say, I, I, I don't want to jinx it. I, I like them all, and I hate them all. It, it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, I can root who you've rooted. I, I will root for whoever you're rooting for. I'm not very competitive. Why? Because I've never been the one who was on the winning team. But here's one place, brothers and sisters, where at the, when I lay my head down at night, no matter how frustrating the day was, no matter what I faced in the, it, when I put my head down at night, I know this, that I'm on the winning team. Because Jesus is Lord. He's not just the Lord, he's my That's a reason to rejoice. We should rejoice because Jesus is coming back and he's going to judge the world. And we should also rejoice because he is Lord. Number four, num yeah, number four, the Lord has uh, not forgotten Israel. 
You know, um, this is a hard sell as well. People are oftentimes, uh, you know, what do we do with Israel and their response to Jesus and all of that sort of thing. And uh, let me tell you that, that, that uh, I'm very, very clear in my own heart where I stand on this issue. You and I should be celebrating that God keeps covenant with Israel because if God keeps covenant with Israel and we can look at their history and their track record and say, you know, they're God's chosen people because he chose them, not because we chose them. I mean, you know, the truth of the matter is sometimes they're difficult people, to be honest. But the truth of the matter is that God arbitrarily, because of their fathers, he chose them and he made a covenant with them. And the scriptures say that God has not forgive, forgotten Israel. That's a reason to rejoice. And we're supposed to turn around saying, yeah, but that's Israel. What about America? What, you know, <clears throat> okay. Here's the thing. If God could forget his covenant with Israel, then maybe he could forget his covenant with you. God is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And even when Israel was the most disobedient, oh my gosh, even to the point of making, not just worshiping, making, creating idols and worshiping them, even then, God's hand was outreached to them still, even to this day, because God has not forgotten his children. By the way, if you want more insight into that, um, after we finish uh, Romans chapter 8, we're going to be in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. For me, those chapters were some of the most difficult chapters in the Bible at one time. Now they're like really, really exciting me, and I want to share those with you. So in a couple of weeks, we'll be in Romans 9, 10, and 11, and, and you'll get a chance to hear God's own heart why, uh, where he's at with Israel and uh, I think that it'll be uh, eye-opening. So I hope you're able to be there. So top six reasons why we should joy and then joy again or repeat the sounding joy. Rejoice. Six is that the Lord is coming to judge. Five is the Lord reigns. Four is the Lord has not forgotten Israel. And then in verse number two, uh, and we're getting to the clo close to the point where God is making his point. In uh, number three, the Lord's salvation has come. The Lord's salvation has come. I don't know if you've ever tried to work out your own salvation. I don't know if you've ever tried to earn your salvation. I'm, I'm not sure if you've been religious or around religious people. Isn't it wonderful that God has brought salvation for us? We don't have to earn it. We just have to receive it. I'm telling you, it's the best deal on the planet. And salvation to the Israelites meant from Egypt, which means the house of bondage. So um, you don't have, you didn't have to be addicted to heroin when you were saved to, you know, to have a testimony. The thing is that whenever God saved any of us, when any of us were convicted of our sin and we accepted Christ as our Savior, anytime, at whatever place, whatever we were in, let me tell you, we are absolutely bound to our humanness and our sinfulness and our selfishness, and anger, and fits of rage, and we lack joy. In fact, sometimes we rejoice when bad things happen to other people. I'm going to just go with this one. If Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the Apostle, if he as a young man studying under the greatest 
theologians and minds of his day, if, if Saul of Tarsus, in his, I like to say, the backroom conversations that he had with other Pharisees and religious leaders, you know that there had to be these times when the Jewish theologians, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, they, all, they split three different ways. They couldn't have split three different ways if they didn't have conversations and arguments with each other. So I'm going to just say that if Saul of Tarsus, who is a Pharisee, born of a Pharisee, who was born of a Pharisee, if he is a third-generation Pharisee and he has studied under the greatest theological minds in his day and he's been in those backroom, smoke-filled conversations with other theologians, you know that they discussed salvation. You know they discuss what you had to do, what you didn't have to do, what was the minimum requirements for knowing and keeping law, keeping Torah. How is it that a man is able to please God? And it was in his study and his, his theology and his ambition and his zeal, it was in that that this sect of Judaism broke off, which was called Christianity, and their Messiah, Jesus. And so the church was growing, and they were following this Messiah, Jesus. And you know that Saul of Tarsus and his friends talked about it, and they tried to figure out what to do with Jesus, who was crucified, then was resurrected, then he couldn't find his body, and then, you know, this thing's going like wildfire across the country. You know that Saul of Tarsus was an exceptional young man because he said in his mind, if my Torah is true and if my understanding of keeping law is correct, if my understanding of God is correct, then that understanding is wrong and therefore it is idolatry and therefore it is blasphemy and therefore we must stop it. He started with we must stop that until he got to the point where he's like, we must kill that. We must destroy that. We must arrest them. We must kill them. We must finish this thing. So his theology and his religiousness drove him to the point of insanity, which is what religion will do to you. And it wasn't in his theology it wasn't in his back room that he met Jesus. It was in his rebellion against God. That God, in his great love and mercy, appeared to Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus suddenly said, Who are you, Lord? And this great imagery that is in my mind is that Saul of Tarsus stretches out his hand because he's now blinded not by murder, not by ambition, not by bigotry, not by hatred. Now he's been blinded by the brilliance and the beauty and the wonder and the glory of Jesus Christ. And suddenly everything he knew was wrong. And in that moment, he had to humble himself. And what God did in his great love and his mercy is he allowed him to be blind. And I want you to just catch this for a moment because if, if you've never had this moment, I pray that you do. He held out his hand and he said, someone lead me. Someone guide me. I don't know anything now. 
I, I thought I knew the Bible. I thought I knew God. And now I know nothing. Would someone lead me? And someone took his hand and guided him down to Ananias' house. And there Ananias spoke to him about Jesus. And when Ananias explained to him who Jesus really was and how that he was the fulfillment of Torah, then suddenly the scales fell off his eyes and he was converted. The man who one day knew everything, the next day turned into a, a you know, just a venomous, murderous shred of humanity and then in a moment became a born-again believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. And his heart was tenderized and soft and pliable. And now he loved God not with laws, but with his whole heart, with the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of him. The reason we should rejoice is because the Lord has brought salvation. I couldn't save myself. You couldn't save yourself. It doesn't matter what you were addicted to or not addicted to. We were addicted to our humanity and our sinfulness nonetheless and could not save ourselves. That is reason number three, that we should rejoice. Reason number two is that the Lord is the victor. Uh, this is even one step closer to the goal here is that Jesus Christ is the victor and that means something more than he won a battle. That means something more than he outran everybody else. That means something more than he has a more philosophical way of life. It means that Jesus literally stepped into human flesh. And according to Romans chapter 8, he actually defeated sin where sin had all its power in the flesh. He climbed into humanness. He died for sin. He died as a man for men, but not as a sinner. He died for sinners, but not as a sinner. And when God looked at the sacrifice of his begotten son, his eternal begotten son, his wonderful, most prized, his only begotten son, that came willingly and died for humanity. Father's heart is grieved. It's broken. But it wasn't required under law for the person who died for sin or the sacrifice that died for sin. It wasn't required that they stay dead. They just needed to die for it. And because Jesus was sinless, dying for us, not for himself, the grave had no authority over him. So the Father said, in his holiness, in his justice, in his righteousness, in his love, in his vengeance, he said, wake my son up. Holy Spirit, go breathe on the corpse and bring my son back from the grave. And when the Holy Spirit entered through the rock into the tomb, into the heart of Jesus, and began to use up his physical body that was dead, began to transform it 
into an eternal body. Jesus walked out of there alive. He's the victor over death, hell, and the grave. Even in the grave, the scriptures teach us that he was somehow, someway, even in the very pit of hell, somehow, someway, rescuing sinners. There is no Marvel comic like that. There is no Mandalorian like that. There is no, you know, I mean, just fill in the blank. There is no Wonder Woman like that. There is no, there is no uh, Avenger like that. The, Jesus is the absolute total victor over all that faces us. And you know what I do? I just I put my arm around him and say, I'm with him. I'm with him. I'm with him. His victory is now my victory. You're a hard crowd, man, I'm telling you. You should be, like, rejoicing. We're, like, on number two already, and, like, we should be counting down and all the reasons to be joyful. Yeah, I know. Do you know what the truth of the matter is? I, I need to take Psalm 98. I need to take these things, and I need to process them. I need to pray them. See, here's the thing. When I start to pray them, at first, they're just words on a page, and then I pray it again. And when I pray it again, then suddenly, um, you know, somewhere between the coffee and the, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the cold in the room or whatever, so I start waking up, I start getting alert. All of a sudden, I read it again, and the Holy Spirit begins to quicken my spirit. And as it begins to quicken my spirit, suddenly, like, Jesus' story becomes my story. Israel's story becomes my story. Samson's story becomes my story. David's story becomes my story. Samuel's story becomes my story. Paul's story becomes my story. Do you understand? <clears throat> the Word of God is absolutely eternal, and it is powerful and will continue to be powerful. It will remain true even when the earth is gone. It will still be true. And when I begin to re repeat the stories when I begin to repeat the Psalms, when I begin to repeat the Word of God, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit breathes on something. Okay, so here I am. Let's just say I'm, I'm running. I have more month than money. I have more day than I have strength. I have more challenges than I have wisdom and capacity. When I'm in those moments, all of a sudden God is able to rise up and I become David, slinging my sling with my stone. And my giant is being, being killed. It is My giant is being felled. My mountain is coming down. My valley is being filled, you know? All of a sudden, these things become my things. And, and the Holy Spirit is able to then, this is what David was uh, mentioning just a while ago, is that uh, we have to find something deeper inside of ourselves. We have to find some faith inside of ourselves and to begin to put that forward. We put our faith forward and we begin to hang on the faithfulness of God. 
And when we begin to activate our faith, then suddenly the things that God has done, he can do. And the things that he has done and can do, he will do. And he begins to do. I'd love to take the time to go through story after story, testimony after testimony. Let me just give you one. Recently, I was in a board meeting in a a different ministry, and we had a big chunk of money we needed to raise. We had promises, but we didn't have the money. And we had uh, an opportunity to buy a building, and the difference between the promises and the building was only like twelve or $15,000. I raised my hand, and I said, I've got twelve dollars to $15,000 worth of faith to believe for the building. Let's just buy it. Well, you know, when you, when you, the lone voice in the room, it's, it's kind of interesting because they're thinking about what's promised, not what we have, you know. And uh, as we're going through this thing, all of a sudden, there was a little bit of discussion. And then they were looking to me like, why do you believe that way? And I said, okay, look, I don't need to have faith for all that other stuff. You guys have already gone out and worked for that. Those are things that are promised to us. So I'm going to believe that those promises are true. I only need the faith to believe the distance that we don't have yet. And they're like, that's ridiculous accounting. And I said, no, it's faith. This is how faith works. I don't need to have faith for a million dollars right now. I only need to have faith for 15000 The Spirit of God touched us all, and suddenly we're like, let's take a vote. It was almost unanimous, which, which is really, really, it doesn't happen very often. Almost unanimous. Yeah. On Christmas Eve, I got a, a, a text or an email. I forget which. I think it was an email. All the money has come in. All the money has come in. All the money has come in. It's in the bank now. You know, when Abraham saw the stars in the sky, he wasn't clouded by all how many stars. He only needed to see one star. He only needed to believe for one child, one promise. When I, I don't need to have all that money. I don't need to have all of that in my bank. I just need to have the first dollar. I don't need to have uh, promises of, uh, you know, the offering for, uh, uh, for the uh, quarries. I don't need to have all of that today. I just need to have the beginning and the beginning is coming. We're going to bless them. They're go- I'm going to prophesy that Stephen Curry will be in our sanctuary one day thanking you personally for supporting him during this time. All the way from Bethlehem. Yeah, yeah. All right. We are out of time. We are way. No, we're not. We're still good. We're still good. I got one more point, and we're going to be done. Okay, the top number one reason. Of these six reasons to joy and then joy again, or to repeat the sounding joy, the number one reason is that the Lord does wonders. Now, that's where you're supposed to get really ecstatic, because how many of you need God to do something wonderful in your life right now? If you would just stand up, I would appreciate that. If you need God to do something wonderful, like seriously, Pastor, there is something I'm believing for right now, and it has to happen, and, and, and it would be wonderful. Why don't you just stand up with me? 
Even if you're at home, if uh, I want you to just stand up. Just make, just, this is just a, a declaration of faith. You just need, you just need God to do something. And if he did it, it would be wonderful. It would be wonderful. It would be wonderful. Let me tell you something right now. Your miracle is coming, Donna. Your miracles are coming, guys. Gary, your miracle is coming. Judy, your miracle is coming. Guys, your miracle is coming. And you know how I know it? Because God did it in the past. He'll do it in this day today. He did it once before. It's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. I want you to just begin to, right now, in this atmosphere, in this moment, I'm going to ask everybody to stand up around you. And if you're not too afraid, put a glove on. Touch them on a, col on a shoulder. Or put... A piece of paper, a shawl, or something over their shoulder so you don't make contact with them, for goodness sake. Put your hand on their shoulder. Let's believe God together. In this moment, I am here to declare today, in the name of Jesus Christ, that if you will rejoice, God will respond. If you will rejoice, God will respond because the God who is the same yesterday is the same today, and he'll be the same forever. The one who did it in Moses' day will do it in your day. I don't care what the problem is. I don't, I don't need to be, uh, uh, I don't need the details. I don't need to know the information. I don't need to know all, sometimes people give me too much information. I don't need <coughs> Listen, there's a reason why I'm not a healthcare worker. God bless them. I don't need to know medically how your body works because I believe Jesus heals. <clears throat> I don't need to know how things function. <clears throat> I believe that Jesus heals. Let me get a drink of water. I didn't come to preach this morning. I came to release something. The Lord said to me, if the people will learn to rejoice, I can do anything. If the people will learn to rejoice, I can do anything. But when you don't rejoice, he can't do anything. It's amazing how that we can uh, give glory to God. It's amazing how that we can give honor to God. But it's also interesting how we can strengthen God. How do you strengthen Almighty? He is Almighty. You strengthen him when you believe him, when you declare him, when you, uh, when you trust him. You, <clears throat> some of you right now, I just want to tell you the reason the miracle has not come to you yet is because the situation has not got desperate enough. Because when the, des when the situation, situation is desperate enough, when it is absolutely impossible, you'll give up on you being able to do it yourself. So when you give up on being able to do it yourself and just throw yourself in the arms of God and say, God, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm a lover of God. You can't, you can't discourage me. You can't distract me. You can't dissuade me. You can't, uh, you can't uh, uh, humiliate me whatever you oh gosh how many times I thought God was humiliating me I remember one time up in uh, New Hampshire when we were coming down through and we had the transmission breakdown and we were in a hotel and our credit cards were blocked because we had been in Canada and they put a hold on it we had no money and I broke down transmission and I'm walking back from the transmission shop and with the bad news to tell my family it's in a hotel that we can't pay for. 
that it's going to be like three grand, and I'm telling you, with three grand, may as well have been uh, 30 grand to me. <coughs> I'm walking back, and I come through this square, this little town, this park bench, and I, went, I felt the Lord say, I want you to sit down. I sit down. He knows me well enough to know that he couldn't get me to do the first step without doing something sort of intermediate. So I sat down on that park bench. And he said, like, Rich, I know this is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done, but I want you to slip to your knees. And I wanted you to lift your hands to heaven and praise me like you do in the sanctuary. I want you to worship me. When it makes no sense to worship me, I want you to worship me when your back is against a wall, when you're humiliated, when you're embarrassed and you've made a stand and everybody knows you've made a stand and here you are stuck. I want you to, I wish I could say I just immediately slipped down. It took five, ten minutes before I slipped down, down on my knees. And I just began to lift my hands up towards heaven. I just began to praise God. I'm like, I'm at this point. I may as well go all the way. And I just start praying in tongues. I start singing in tongues. I start worshiping God in tongues. And cars are gone past. People are walking past. And I'm in this moment. And I'm like... This is the most humiliating thing I've ever done because I'm praising you for what I don't understand. I'm praising you for something I don't have in my hand. I'm praising you for something that has not happened. And God, but I know you, God. You're faithful, and I know your voice, and I know you're speaking, and somehow you're in this moment. <laughs> no one stopped. No one got saved. No one, nothing like that. I walked over to the apartment or the hotel room, and when I got into the room, Judy said that the, that the transmission shop had called, and they they thought about it, thought about our situation, they thought about maybe there's another answer, and it was like a $300 answer to my transmission problem. I was never so happy with a $300 bill. I'm telling you, I just began to think, oh God, you do wonders. You do wonders, wonders again and again. You do wonders. <clears throat> Is there anything too wonderful for God? <laughs> no, there isn't. Oh, I could just go through story after story and tell you. And they're not just old stories. They're new stories, recent stories. Let me just tell you, God is faithful. What he's done, he will do. Get his promise. Hang on to him. Hang on with all your life. If you, if you have to lose pride, if you have to be humiliated in the process, it's worth it. It's worth it. Father, I pray in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you begin to release faith in this house. You begin to move across the airwaves, Lord Jesus. You begin to move online, touching people, Lord Jesus, right now. I pray, Lord Jesus, inside this room, not only would faith arise, but words would start happening. People would start getting words. People would start getting uh, information and direction from God. I pray, Lord, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would begin impregnating people's hearts with promises and dreams 
Lord, begin to speak into the depths of our heart. Lord, begin to move in powerful and wonderful ways. Begin, Lord Jesus, revealing to us promises for our children and our children's children and children yet to be born. Father, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would begin raising up the church, begin raising up the church, not just Cornerstone, but the church in central Pennsylvania, not just central Pennsylvania, all of Pennsylvania, not just Pennsylvania, but the eastern seaboard, not just here, but all across this country. Begin moving, begin moving in power and wonders. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We should rejoice in the Lord because the Lord is coming and he's coming to judge the earth. The Lord reigns. We should rejoice because the Lord reigns. We should rejoice because the Lord has not forgotten Israel. He'll not forget you. We should rejoice because the Lord's salvation has come. We should rejoice because the Lord is the victor. He's always the victor. He can't be anything but the victor. He will never, ever humble himself and bow and take up the towel again. Today he sits on the throne as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and nations will come and bow before him. Kings will come and bow before him. Agnostics will come and bow before him. Atheists will come and bow before him. Secularists will come and bow before him. Oh God, this country will bow before him. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and he does wonders. He does wonders. He does wonders. Hallelujah.